0: Thank you, Doug, and grace and peace to all of you in the name of Jesus. It's uh, really good to be with you. Always fun to, to come back to Salina. Uh, it was interesting, uh, here a few weeks ago I was traveling, and it was during that Arctic blast thing. And so I'm watching the Weather Channel to see what it's going to be like getting home. And, and uh, on the screen comes this lady pumping gas, and the snow is just blowing horizontal, and the, the caption says, Salina, Kansas! And the announcer guy says, and look what's happening in (sighs) Salina. So, uh, hey, it's good to be here in Salina. I lived here in the 70s from about 1970 to 1980. Back then, there were two world-class burger joints, Sandy's and the Cozy Inn. Anybody remember Sandy's? I think, yeah, a few of you. You're showing your age because I think it left the scene in about 1972. Uh, Fortunately, Cozy's is still around. Uh, graduated from uh, Salina South in uh, 1976. I was a certified band nerd. Uh, fortunately, I had some brothers that were athletes and they bailed me out. But uh, I was a band nerd. And I do have uh, my three brothers. My folks still live here, Clay and Nancy Thompson. And uh, my brothers all married high school sweethearts. I married the only foreigner uh, from Kansas City. And uh, so we've never lived in Salina as adults, but I love all my brothers they are great guys. It's fun to come back to Salina because people will see me and they get very confused. You can tell they just start to shudder a little bit and they think I'm Steve or Jeff or Kenny. And some of them will even start to share something with me. Oh, stop. I don't want to know whatever it is, you know, but uh, they're all great guys. I love them, love their families. Um, But I have to tell you, First Covenant Church of Salina, you got the pick of the litter Kenny has always been the best. Uh, and Steve would agree with me. Here's, he's here this morning. He's always been a real great guy. Loves the Lord. Uh, fun guy. Um, but anyway, good to be with you here. I do now find myself in a, in a different call than local parish ministry. I serve the Midwest Conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is a six state region. And uh, just over the last 18 months, we've really been working hard to try to discern again, what's our call and our purpose and our mission? And uh, in fact, Dave McCowan was a part of a team that met with us. And this mission statement is part of the outcome of that effort. Churches working together to transform lives and communities by starting new churches, strengthening existing churches and developing missional leaders. That's what we really understand our role to be. And it's a Wonderful group of churches, about 100 churches now in this region of wide diversity, suburban, urban, rural, big, little, different personalities, just a fascinating group. And yet all really seeking faithfully to follow Jesus in their place, and their time, in that context. And so that's really what we're about. And I do serve kind of in that middle priority of strengthening existing churches and fortunately, the denomination just had a wonderful run of planting new churches and and has always worked at developing leaders. But only in the last five to 10 years has kind of had a re reengaged effort to bring some tools to the churches in health and vitality. How can we recapture God's uh, focus, his mission, his purpose for us as the church? And we're seeing a lot of churches uh, grab a hold of that. So I come to you today kind of wearing that hat and uh, really to say, way to go, First Covenant. Um, you have a slogan, a purpose, a mission, which has existed for a while, deeper in Christ and further in mission. You can see it on the banners. You can see it on your web page. I'm sure you've heard it over and over. And it's solidly biblical, deeper in Christ. We've been given a relationship with God through Jesus. And so we are called to go deep into that relationship. It's a gift of grace. But because of that, as we begin to know Jesus more deeply we see the world with his eyes. Our hearts are broken for the things that break his heart. And we go further in mission. So we really get serious about this. Now, that is cool. Good for you. Um, but we're going to look at this in one specific text. Doug read it to you earlier. First, Peter uh, chapter two, verses 11 and 12. There's many, many places we could go. But this is a fun one, because really, as I read uh, the first uh, letter that Peter wrote this is the thesis. This is the theme of the whole letter, if you will. And so I'm only picking two verses to try to help you see this construct, because I think it's very important. Because sadly, as we look at scripture and the history of the church, even churches like yours who have sought to be faithful in going deeper and further. Quite often end up going to one extreme or the other, and it misses God's desire. Uh, what I would, how I would label that is in going deeper, good intention, but they kind of separate. Or going further, they just kind of assimilate right into the culture. Let me, let me explain that just a little bit before we get into the text. If, if, if we look at it as the corruption of separation, it's well-intentioned. But you you as a church, you come to faith and you go, wow, I've got new spiritual eyes and I want to live my life differently. And I'm looking at this culture and it's whacked out. It's evil. It's ugly. There's all sorts of temptations that are just going to drag me into the ditch. And so I'm going to build some high boundaries. I'm going to become very exclusionary. And I'm going to define who's in and who's out. And I'm going to, you know, Jesus is the only way. And it's not only that Jesus is the only way, but it's the way I interpret Jesus is the only way. Very isolated separation. And we see whole movements, whole traditions that have been built around that kind of a corruption, I think, of biblically what we're being called to. But we see another corruption, and that's over here. And people say, well, now, wait a minute. We live in the culture. It's the water we swim in. You can't get away from it. Who are we kidding? And we're called to be salt and light. We're called to love people. And so we come become very inclusionary and Sadly, what happens is there is no distinction between us and the world. Anything goes. That's fine. Live and let live. And all those kinds of things. That too is a corruption of what Christ is calling us to. He wants us to go deeper and further, not separate or assimilate. Now, this is a classic problem. This is not something new, it's existed since the beginning. There was a, a, a relatively contemporary author. He's with the Lord now. Richard Niebuhr wrote a classic book called Christ and Culture. Anyone read that? Wow, I found another person, Doug. A couple people. Well, the rest of you don't go by it. I, uh, we had to read it in seminary uh, along the way. It's a classic book. And, uh, and in that book, Niebuhr takes this issue of Christ and culture. And he he looks at five different categories or stages on this continuum of separation and assimilation. And uh, he does a good job with it. I did not like it one bit. It was just dry reading. In fact, I just thought it was like eating dry aspirin kind of thing. Just yuck. I didn't like it at all. But the more I've lived and been in ministry in the church and thought about what's going on, I go, you know what? Niebuhr was really speaking for the Lord in that. We need to take this seriously. How should we live as followers of Jesus in a culture... That is increasingly hostile to us. Well, if you're like me and you're not quite as intellectual as Niebuhr, uh, maybe you like the more pedestrian way of approaching it. Here's here's one question that might be asked if you were a a young guy, especially growing up in the church. The question was, should a, a young fellow following Jesus drink, smoke or chew or go out with girls that do? It's those kinds of issues These are the kinds of things we're talking about. Where do we draw the lines? What does it look like for us to be faithful to Jesus and yet be fully engaged deeper and further? Let's look at it, though, from Scripture, because Peter says it really well. And I think it gives us a very clear way of looking at this and some answers to the tension of what it means to live kind of in this muddy middle, not on the not on the extremes, but being faithful to go deeper and further. You heard the passage earlier. Let's read it one more time. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 12, this is the word of the Lord as given to us uh, from the hand of Peter, but by the spirit of the living God. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's look at it. He starts right off with a very interesting address. He says, dear friends, you're my friends. We're all we're all in this together. We're all believers in Jesus. These are the early followers in the church. But then what does he say? Dear friends, as foreigners and exiles. Now, that's an interesting way to address a friend, isn't it? You're my friend, but you're a foreigner. You're an exile. What's he saying there? Well, it is interesting, and it sets up the whole context, and we need to read all of Scripture in context, right? And we need to understand this was written to a specific people in a specific time and a specific place, and there were specific issues going on, and those issues are repeated. Because what's going on here is a reference to their social condition, the situation in which they live. And you can see it right from the first verse of this letter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We are the elect. These people are the elect. They are called in the mystery of God's call and election. He's drawn them to himself in Christ Jesus. But they are, in fact, exiles who have been scattered. Something's going on here. Scholars believe this letter was written probably in the early 60s A.D., And in about 64 A.D., a very tragic thing happened in Rome. There was a massive fire, massive fire. And Nero, the ruler of the day, who was really not an incredibly good guy. He was a really interesting, wild guy. uh, That would be gracious, I would think. um, He needed a scapegoat. And so he said, the Christians did it. Those dirty Christians. And indeed, the persecution ratcheted up. It took off. And so these people who had been formerly marginalized were now even persecuted and their very lives were threatened. So they scattered throughout all of that area, which which then was Asia Minor and now is predominantly Turkey. And so they really did become what we might think of as resident aliens. That's a not an original term. That's a term that Rodney Stark coined in one of his books. Resident aliens. You bet they lived there. That was home. But they were aliens. They were foreigners scattered. We need to see them for who they were and how they received this letter. This was a small, relatively small group of people. They were marginalized. They were discriminated against, ostracized. Uh, Commercial business was very difficult for them. Uh, Not only that, but uh, it was getting more and more difficult because now that they had been falsely accused of setting this fire in Rome, they were persecuted And so they'd taken off. They'd left their homes and they were scattered throughout this region. And they had little, if any, political recourse. Little, if any, influence. Little, if any, voice. So Peter, I mean, think about it. Think about what's going on. That's that's the situation. Peter's the pastor. What does he do? He writes a letter to them and encourages them in this situation. And he says, I get it. I understand that this new thing called Christianity and following this Jesus is really tough. This is not easy stuff. So I want to encourage you and I want to give you some ways in which you can live in this hostile environment. That's what's going on here. So think about that. Does that apply to us? You know, there was a day over the last uh, 20 to 50 years, I suppose, When some would have argued we were a Christian nation, whatever that means, certainly it was a more church friendly culture and we had more voice at the table and civil religion was more a part of what this was all about. That's all changing. That is all changing. There is a downward spiral in our culture and absolutely traditional values are declining and they're being redefined. Immorality is not only tolerated, but it is celebrated. This is a post-Christian era. And the church, if it hasn't already lost its influence, it has certainly declined greatly. That's the reality. You can look at the surveys. There's so many being done right now. There's a whole new category of people called nuns. Not Catholic nuns. N-O-N-E-S. These are people who say, I have no interest in any religion. No religious affiliation. None. None. About 20% of the American population is a nun. And as you look at younger people, those under age 30, and some of you are younger going, 30? That's old. Uh, it's really young, folks. Um, but those under age 30, 30%. And those percentages are increasing. People are turned off by religion, and they're leaving in droves. One of the, I think, more compelling studies was done by one of our own uh, uh, Evangelical Covenant uh, author leaders, uh, Dave Olson, he wrote the book, the, church, the American Church in Crisis, several years ago. And uh, he's, he just simply looked at church attendance. He said, how many people are attending a Christian church uh, throughout the country? And what he found was, broadly speaking, about 20% of the population attends a, a church that worships Jesus on any given Sunday. 20%. Now, that, that varies 5 to 10% by region, but it holds true. As you look at all that, as you think about what's going on in our world, as you read the the, the morning paper, the natural response, I think, is to say, man, that culture stinks. Hollywood is messing us up. The government, man, what's the deal with those guys? Wall Street, they're just totally corrupting us. Greed, whatever. You know, we want to blame someone else. I just don't think we can do that. In fact, I'm convinced we can't do that. It's very misplaced blame if that's the way we approach these issues, because the blame has to rest squarely on us, the church of Jesus Christ. We are the keepers. Jesus tells us to be salt and light. That's a beautiful metaphor. What's the purpose of salt? Well, in that day and age, it was to preserve meat. If you didn't put salt on it, it became rotten. What's the culture going to do if it doesn't have an influence of a salty church? It's going to become more and more rotten. It's depraved. It's lost. It's confused. It doesn't know the good news of Jesus. And so that's the direction it's going to go. It's going to rot. How about salt and light? Light. Uh, What's darkness going to do unless light comes into it? Well, it's going to stay dark. That's what the culture is going to be. It's going to be dark unless we bring the light. Jesus, when he got all jazzed up in Scripture... He wasn't pointing his finger at the culture. He wasn't mad at Nero. He was mad at the church. The religious leaders of the day saying, what are you guys up to? You have missed the mark. And I think he's saying that to us again. We have to own this. We have to hear the Lord's discipline in all of this and take it seriously. And Peter gives us, I think, such a beautiful way to respond. Rather than huddling up and separating or just throwing our hands up and assimilating completely into the culture, he says, no, we're going to go deeper and further in mission. Let's look again at our primary text, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, that second clause. He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In other words, go deeper in Christ. You've been given a relationship of grace, a free gift. Receive it with joy and commitment. Abstain from those sinful desires. You have temptations. I have temptations. The culture does appeal to us in unhealthy ways. In fact, it is a war. It is toxic and corrosive. It will absolutely hurt you. And it can be deadly. You better take this seriously. He says it in other ways throughout the book. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. He says, as obedient children, obedience, there's a fun word, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, we all lived in ignorance at one time. We did not have the Spirit of God and His Word. We did not have the fellowship of the saints to speak truth and love, iron sharpening iron. We were living in ignorance, doing what the culture does. But not anymore. We now have Christ. We're the friends that He's speaking to. He says, be just as He who called you is holy, So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This theme of holiness is throughout the book. Be set apart. Be consecrated. You were designed, you were created, you were redeemed to be in relationship with God. And God cannot tolerate sin. We need to come to him in holiness, in consecration, in grace, absolutely, because we cannot achieve this by the law. It's only by grace, but we take it seriously. And we go deeper in Christ and we say, you bet I am committed to your word. I'm committed to coming in fellowship. Good for you. You're all here this morning in the fellowship of the saints. I'm committed to prayer, desperate dependence on God. I cannot do this on my own. I'm committed to having spiritual companionship in my life. People that I invite to speak the truth and love. I want to hear from you what you're seeing because I know I have blind uh, blind spots. All those traditional disciplines of the faith are important if we're going to go deeper and deeper in Christ. That's what Peter is calling us to here. Now, as we do that, praise God, as we go deeper in Christ, we then begin to see the world as Jesus sees it. And our hearts are broken for what breaks his and we begin to pursue him in further mission. Look at the way Peter describes this again back in first Peter two, verse twelve. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. You bet the Christians were persecuted. They were ostracized. They were even bodily persecuted for their holiness, for their commitment to God, for going deeper in Christ. But Peter says that is a wonderful opportunity, even though they're accusing you live your life well for Christ. Be a witness. That's going further in mission. Uh, You are called 24-7 into the marketplace of this culture. That's your mission field. Bear the light. Be a witness. Share the love of Jesus. Peter says it in other ways throughout this letter. Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness. And respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Absolutely. Further in mission, be prepared to share the good news of what Jesus has done in your life, of the way he has given you freedom. We just sang about that this morning. Share that with people. Further in mission, that is our call. That's who we're supposed to be. Pursuing Christ and his priorities, being that salt and light. Being serious about service, a life of service, being serious about evangelism, compassion and mercy and justice, being serious about global mission, all those kinds of things. So the answer to the question is not to go to one extreme or the other, but it's to go deeper. And so here's the way I would suggest it to you. It's not either or it's both. And absolutely, absolutely. We have a natural proclivity to drift one way or the other. And if you find yourself on one extreme or the other, I would suggest to you that you turn back to God's word, pray really hard and ask the Lord to speak. Because I think we're missing the mark at that point. If, on the other hand, you feel yourself in the muddy tension of that middle, you're probably right where God wants you. That's a desperate, important place to be deeper in Christ, further in mission. If we only go to that extreme of deeper, I think it's well intended, but indeed what happens, holy huddles, elite clubs, just people who ignore the yawning needs of the world because they're afraid, they're locked up in fear. That is not God's intention for his church. On the other hand, if we go to that extreme of assimilation into the culture, we claim love. But it's a facade of love. It's worldly love. And in the name of love, we tolerate any and all lifestyles and behaviors, even though we know it hurts them. God designed us in such a way to live. His scripture reveals that. The loving thing to do is to do what's in the best interest of other people and to speak that truth in love. Worldly love says, well, let's create some ways to help all these people, but instead it creates entitlement. And instead of empowering people, it enslaves them. That's not biblical. We need to own this life together, and we need to allow consequences to have their course. That's Godly love, allowing the spirit to redeem broken people. You see, God is calling us to pursue holiness absolutely deeper in Christ. And as we do that, then our minds are actually transformed, Scripture tells us, and we are then better able to navigate the muddiness of mission, because it's hard as you go further in mission. It, it gets very complex. The black and white lines are gone. It is very gray. And a lot of hard choices have to be made. But as we go deeper in Christ, we have his mind. We have the spirit of God, his truth of his word. We are better able to love people well. A more perfect love. This is the very essence, folks, of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Philippians 2. Jesus, knowing that he was fully God, the divine, holy one from the highest of heights... Plunged into the deepest of depths. He took on human flesh. He took on human sin. Deeper in Christ, further in mission. Here's the way a contemporary author expresses it. Pastor John Burke. We must emulate the God who dove right into the sewer of life himself in the body of Jesus. It's time for Christian leaders tethered to the lifeline of God's spirit and a community of faith to gather up the courage and plunge into the swirling mess of cultural flow. That's a hard word, but it's a true word. We need to remain tethered to the spirit of God, the truth of his word, the community of faith. Absolutely. But then we need to be that bungee jumper that goes into the cultural mess and says, I'm coming in here with Jesus and it's going to be hard and there's going to be difficult choices to be made. And I'm not sure where we're going to draw all the lines. And in fact, all of them, all of us will draw the lines in different places. But if we're seriously attempting to go deeper and further, not separate or assimilate, I believe the Spirit of God is in that. And good things can happen, even when we make even the wrong choices, I would submit to you. Now, having said that, I guarantee you there's some of you in here saying that is just too messy. Listen, I am there more days than not. And I'm schizophrenic. There's some days I'm just going to go deeper and cry. I'm just going to huddle up, and it's me and Jesus, and this is really good. Uh, there's other days when I say, well, oh, forget it. I'm just, I'm just going to love everybody. I'm just going to go for it. And no, get back in the tension of the muddy metal. That's where God wants us, and I'm convinced of that. Look at Scripture, folks. I mean, Scripture does. It's the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. It is our authority. Just a real quick, quick, quick survey. What happened at the First Covenant? God said to Abram, you'll be blessed so that you can be a blessing. When Jesus was pushed up against the wall by the Pharisees and they said, what's the greatest Jesus? He said, love God, love people in both cases. What is it saying? Go deeper, go further. Amen. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, as he gives us such a foundational understanding of what it means to be a reformed Protestant Christian. He says, you're saved by grace through faith, not a gift so that none might boast. Absolutely. It's a gift of grace. So go deeper in that relationship. But verse 10 goes on. We always forget verse 10 says, hey, you were created in Christ. You just do good works so that were prepared in advance for you to do. You've got work to do. I've got work to do. We're to go further in mission. We're to share this deeper in Christ by going further in mission. Uh, James, he always cuts through the clutter right at verse uh, the, the last verse of chapter one. What does he say? What's true religion? Remain unpolluted. Be holy. Go deeper in Christ. But the demonstration of that is love orphans and widows. Go further in mission. Share the love of God with this world. That's hard stuff. That gets really weird, really wacky, really difficult decisions, really broken people. And then, of course, Peter says, be a holy lover. Go deeper and further. That is the message. And I really do want to applaud you as a church and say, go for it. This, uh, the way you've defined who you are in Christ, going deeper and going further in mission it's right on target. And as I consider what's going on here, you know, if you're not going deeper in Christ right now, if you're really not growing in a relationship with Jesus, well, there are plenty of on ramps for that to occur. Get out there to the connections desk, go on your website, look at all the ministries that are available. You've got Sunday schools, you've got small groups, you've got men's groups, women's groups, age specific. There are so many places. For you to be in the Word, to be in relationship, to be in prayer, and to watch grace and truth transform you over time. You will grow deeper in Christ if you choose to. They're all available here. How about further in mission? I mean, you guys have got a robust uh, menu of mission opportunities. Local and global. Praise God. You have defined your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth well. And there are so many places for you to get plugged in. If you're not involved in further in mission... Get involved. There are opportunities. There are opportunities. So as I think about this and as, as I look at it, I always in Scripture you always want to drive it down to the so what question. So what are we going to do about this? How are we doing? You know, I think as a church, don't get prideful, but you're a healthy missional church doing some really good things. I know you're going through some tough transition in times right now, but God sustained you through that before and He'll sustain you again. The framework is here. But the real question of how this church is doing is, how are you doing? How are you doing? Listen, there's some of you, you're wired more pietistically. You're okay with the deeper in Christ thing. You're contemplative, and it's me and Jesus, and we just do great together. I'm going to stay in my prayer closet and be happy. Biblically, that's not really going to work out too well, nor practically. That's, that's not the answer. The answer is to take that and combine it with further mission. But there's some of you that are wired activistically. I mean, you're just hit the streets. Let's get it done. Come on. Faith without works is dead. Let's, let's go. But you've forgotten. You need to go deeper in Christ. Because if you're not doing what you're doing in Christ, for Christ, with Christ, it's human activity and it's a waste. It's wasted energy. Deeper and further. Not separation or assimilation. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. God, you're so good, your nature, your character, you are perfect in every way and your grace, your patience, your uh, unending love is our only hope. We confess to you, we cannot do this on our own. We all drift to one side or the other. We get so confused and distracted. Lord, have mercy. Thank you for your word, for your spirit, for the fellowship of the the body of Christ. Thanks that you give us everything we need to go deeper and to go further. So we pray in desperate dependence. Have your way with us. We trust you completely. You're our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.